0: And another blessed truth that we have as we turn back to Romans 14 tonight is that Jesus will guide us in the way of our conscience. Always, I know I'm harping back to the example I mentioned this morning. That's not a good example, but it just comes to mind, you know, with the whole thing, a Disney movie about the conscience, say, um, Always let your conscience be your guide. Um, Biblically speaking, always let Jesus guide your conscience. Let God guide your conscience, the Holy Spirit. And then let your conscience be your guide as it's submitted to the Holy Spirit, right? We are talking about the Spirit-guided conscience, and we started this morning. And it's appropriate, really. The Lord just kind of worked this out for our start to our new series to have a focus on this for the day. And um, we'll get back to the gospel of John next week. And it is interesting. Um, I, I can't help but fail to point this out. When we get back to the high priestly prayer and Jesus praying for his disciples, his prayer for the, out of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for his last time with his disciples Before he gives himself as a sacrifice, he prays that they will be together in unity. And it shows the importance that Jesus himself, the head of the body, puts on on unity among God's people. And this then is key to that. As again, we described these conscience issues, everyone has different sensitivity, a different combination of sensitivities. so Many of us would share the same in many regards, but there are some, and we went through a a pretty extensive list this morning of um, illustrations, of um, perception, issues of conscience, disputable issues, um, and there are many, many more that we could have gone through, but I think it gave us a good idea of what we're talking about in these categories. And um, let me say this, I have the opportunity at the beginning of this tonight to give some further clarification, which is always good. I want you to, again, feel the freedom as we go through this. And, and because this is many times so misunderstood, I would imagine that there's going to be a lot of questions, and or there may be some misunderstandings. So please come to me afterwards and let me know, and I would gladly address those questions. I think at the end of the series, I will have a time where I can answer questions. Um, But for now, as I'm working through the material, and even as I'm learning more, uh, if you can give me your questions at the end, and I'll work through that and answer those, you know, the following week or whatever, because I really want to be clear on this. And even more than clear, I want to be biblical. I want to say what God says. And so um, I want to make sure that we have understanding. One thing. That was mentioned to me this morning that I want to make sure that I'm clear on. I think I said something along the lines of when we come together for worship, we set aside um, these things in order to worship together. And what I did not mean by that is set aside our conscience sensitivities, because that would be in direct uh, conflict with what I said earlier, that we must obey our conscience. And the Bible is clear Um, as we're guided by the conscience. If we um, if we injure that or we harm or hurt our conscience in any way, the Bible does describe that as sin. That's why it's so important to make sure that we we calibrate our conscience in the right way. But we don't want to sin against our conscience. So I wasn't saying set aside your sensitivities and come on, everybody get along. But what I was saying was set aside The sinful attitudes that we're going to be looking at tonight in verses three and four, when you come across somebody who differs with you on a conscience issue, set aside the sinful tendencies that we tend to have toward that person for the sake of unity. Don't surrender the sensitivity. So that's what I meant by that. I wanted to be clear on that. Um, Two things then as we continue in this that the biblical data makes clear. Is that our conscience needs to be obeyed? You don't want to um, go against your conscience. It does have ramifications for your spiritual life that can be destructive. But even more importantly, the number one thing is God is Lord over our conscience. We always must keep that in sight and, and that understanding. And ask the Lord, Lord, you help me. uh, Lord, I want my conscience to be accurate and to be function in the way, Lord, that you have made it to function. Um, You really, I use that illustration of the fuel gauge, but it really is that the conscience is one of those gauges in our life that is necessary and vital to be working right. You want that to be the case. And so praying for that, Lord, help that to um, take place is what we all should want. But then this whole idea of unity, regardless of individual conscience sensitivities that we're able to come together in worship in the midst of those, and that we should be able to welcome each other warmly. And let's let's just read back through the first two verses as we continue. This is welcoming each other in unity, part two. We didn't get to this morning. We'll read this whole passage then, verses one through four, actually, and then we'll have a word of prayer. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Again, not just accept him, not just put up with him or her. Warmly welcome them, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. We can be confident in that. That's a promise, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Father, as we continue in this important topic, give us continued understanding on this vital tool that you have placed in each of us Mm -hmm. that we must not ignore, but that must be accurate. And so um, help us to be aware of our conscience, to not ignore or stifle that important tool in any way, but also to seek to make sure that that even that important tool of the conscience is submitted to you and to your word, that we may grow and be most effective. Most useful tools that we can until Jesus returns. This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In giving some more clarification here as we continue, I want to go back through those categories just again so we're all on the same page here as to what Paul is addressing and what he's not addressing. And I think this, this, is, this is key to understanding this. Paul, again, is not addressing a gospel issue. That one is somehow deficient in his understanding or is um, unassenting to essential gospel truths, has not put their faith in the gospel in some aspect, and yet we just kind of overlook that and say, oh, it's okay. No, Uh, Paul makes clear. And this is, again, one of those illustrations how we need to come to God's word with the whole picture of God's word in mind. We can't take one passage in isolation. So if this says one is weak in the faith, welcome him. I also have to take into effect what Paul has said, the warnings that he's given to those who would reject the gospel, that they would be accursed. And so putting those together, obviously, this can't be a quarrel over a gospel issue because Paul is clear. We must agree. We must agree as believers on gospel issues. No doubt about that. And then the second one, moral issues, actions and attitudes that the Bible clearly states as sin, regardless of what we think. And we included in those biblical conclusions as well. I call those issues that may not be explicitly stated as sin as directly as the Ten Commandments state them, but they're obvious to us that um, these things are wrong. And I gave examples, abortion, slavery, polygamy, and there are, there are others as well. Um, you might say, well, Pastor Brock, where do you say, where, where is is it in God's word that uh, this would be different from what Paul's talking about here in Romans 14? Well, as you can imagine, there would be many passages that would talk about the need for God's people to be in unity about the basic moral issues, just one um passage is straight from revelation chapter two remember at the beginning of the book jesus appears before john in the isle of patmos and he has some things to say to the churches and one of the things he says in revelation 2 verses 19 through 23 he's talking to the church in thyatira and the angel of the church I believe that that is refers to the pastor, the leader of the church in Thyatira. He says, write, tell them these things. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Wow, this sounds like a really good church. Loving the Lord and, and being an example to Christ in their community. But Jesus says, I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. He says, behold, I will throw her under the sick bed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Here is clear, Christ is saying, you don't get involved in immoral activities as my church. That's not allowed. So we're not allowed to welcome warmly those um, that would be quarreling over these moral issues. And There's many more verses that make that clear as well. And one thing, I had this in my notes this morning, and I wanted to make this, this clear. I'll just take opportunity tonight. A couple other categories that are important to us as a church family, that we believe are moral issues um, that would affect our being able to worship together in unity. And I think these are important to point out for our church, worldly music in corporate worship is one of those that um, we all in a general sense, we would agree that there are certain types of music that just would not be appropriate. In fact, I spoke on this recently in our series on worship. Um, and so we're careful in that. Uh, it's not that for those that desire to be members, we ask them to give us, first of all, a list of their top 10 favorite songs and what they listen to in their vehicles and things like that. We, we don't do that, right? Um, we, we leave that up to the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, as we make it clear our sensitivities as a church, because we believe it's a moral issue about world, using worldly music in a corporate worship setting. If someone who was a member would come to us and say, I I don't really like that, that bothers me, that teaching. And actually, I would really like you to consider maybe modernizing your music a little more, you know, maybe a trap set and electric guitar and some different things like the church down the street. And I would have to say to them, no, that for us is a moral issue. We can't oblige you in that way. We can't be welcoming in that way. And they would, if they continue to press the issue, it would be clear that they would not be able to worship in unity with us. And that is a moral issue that's important to us. And and it should be important to a lot more churches, but certainly we understand that with our church. Another example that's important is alcohol usage would fit into this category. Um, Both of these were things that I was asked about before I was called to be the pastor here. They wanted to know my stance on music. And where I was on the issue of alcohol, of course, and at some point, the, I'm sure the Lord will lead me to give a full presentation about why I believe that modern- day alcohol is not permissible um, for believers to drink. Uh, as a church family, we understand that as well. and if somebody came in and was a member, again, we don't do a survey how much um, social drinking do you do on a regular basis before you become a member. I think just as a sideline on those issues, there is some discipleship that has to take place as people join the church, even more on the alcohol issue, unfortunately, in today's society. We have to disciple people and help them to understand. So we don't have that questionnaire for people that become members on the alcohol issue either. But if somebody were to say, you know, um, I'm the whole grape juice thing with communion. Um, Have you guys ever considered, you know, like they do in in some countries in Europe and using the wine rather than the grape juice or, and I would say no that's that's something that we consider a moral absolute for us we don't, we don't get involved in alcohol and drinking that well could I bring my own and just kind of supplement no that's not what we're all about here I'm sorry. (laughs) At the same time if I can be a little humorous here but maybe at the same time there are this this is legitimate. Um, I, I say that that is an issue for us. However, the other day, I um, went. I needed another mouthwash. I'd used up the one that I was using, and there was a new one that I hadn't seen before, and, and it, it promised a lot of good things. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that out. So I get home, and um, one of the things I wanted was to kill the bad mouth germs, obviously. And so, took a little bit of that and swished it around, and man, that burned! Like, oh. I, I took a lot because uh, I just figured it was just like my other mouthwash and it just burned. I immediately sped it out. Like, what is in the ingredients? Well, there was some alcohol in the ingredients. And I am confessing to you all now that I think it's some I still use it. It still is effective. And there may have been a point where 0.022% may have gone down my throat by accident, whatever. Um Obviously, even with that, there are certain sensitivities, but there are people who would avoid that. Let me give you another in in regards to the alcohol issue. Again, uh, may sound slightly humorous, but really there are people that have a sensitivity toward this. If um, somebody came in um, and we're talking to somebody else, one of the leadership, whatever, and say, hey, I'm sorry if I seem a little tired today. I really had a bad cold and I took some NyQuil last night. Well, we all know what a major ingredient is in nightmare. And that person that, that other this person was this to said, oh, you're one of those. Well, don't you understand our views on alcohol? You, We have a special place for you to sit over there by the pastor because he's had this mouthwash. You guys, that's the wine bibber uh, section. And you guys just stay over there and stay away from us. Well, we wouldn't do that but folks there are some people that that would look at the NyQuil thing and are sensitive towards that and, and wouldn't take it because of this and it's just another sensitivity um it's it, they're not fully informed they're weak in that way and there are also in this there's some um ramifications for for music and things too involved in this but i wanted to make clear as well that those would in general be world, would would be moral issues that would inhibit our unity in worshiping with others, and so all of these are important, okay, and so we come to this finally, this last category that we're at now that that is the one that Paul is referring to in chapter fourteen verses one through four issues of conscience, disputable issues, I would call this perception issues um, and we got to verse two, and I'd like to give a little expand a little bit more on this, and then we'll get to verse. And that common misperception or misconception that I mentioned that most scholars and many of even many of my seminary teachers and mentors, men that I go to to help me understand passages and things, um, they look at this passage and they look at verse two and they say, well, that is a disagreement between Jewish and Gentile believers Because we know the background of what was going on at this time. And even though this passage doesn't actually say that, we know of some of the conflicts that were going on between Jewish and Gentile believers. And so really, because it's talking about what they eat and later on about days that they observe, this must be ultimately, this must be primarily a dispute between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And again, I pointed out there's a very obvious answer to that. The text doesn't say that. And Jewish believers, Jewish people still eat meat. They don't just eat vegetables. Now, there are some um, discussion and there's some background that scholars give how that Jewish people would avoid meat sometimes in certain situations. But Paul doesn't tell us anything about that. And we have to be careful in this because we might be tempted to think, oh, Paul really is just focusing here on a Jewish-Gentile controversy that really doesn't apply to us today. And really, that's not what's going on here at all. Verse 2 is much more general. And this can take place in our society. This can take place in your life, in my life. And so um, let's not be so... You may joke around with people if you're not a a person that is described as a vegan. You may joke around with others about eating meat and vegans not eating meat. Um, That may seem humorous to you sometimes, but folks, to those that uh, consider themselves vegans, they are very serious about that, and it is something that is a sensitivity that they're sensitive towards. And a believer can um, have that sensitivity as well. And that certainly falls under the aspect of this, that we just need to be careful. If somebody comes up to me and says, hey, have you heard the latest uh, joke about somebody who's a vegan, and I'm standing next to someone who I know follows after that, well, guess what I'm going to say because of this passage? No, I haven't heard that joke, and I'd rather not hear it because I want to keep unity and I want to make sure that my brother that has a sensitivity or sister in this regard, it's important to them that I welcome them, that they are warmly welcomed regardless of what their stance is on these things. And it goes far beyond whether a person is a Jew or a Gentile in this regard. So all of these things are important and I hope that makes sense. Now we get to the second part here, and this won't take too long, but it is very important. Verses three and four, and that is welcome in unity without sinful attitudes. Warmly welcome those with conscience differences and make sure that you don't show sinful attitudes towards those different people. This is key. Do not react wrongly against those that God has welcomed. Look at verse three. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. We have two wrong attitudes that are described here that really divide and destroy unity among God's people in this regard. The first one is the strong person's attitude toward the weak person. Let's look at that first part of verse three. Let not the one who eats, the one who does not have a conviction about eating. And in this case, remember, that would be the strong one because we even looked this morning in the book of Acts where God said to Peter, rise up and eat. Um, all things are acceptable. There are no more of the Jewish um, expectations that God has put over you in regards to what you eat and you can't eat. So a strong believer would realize that he may eat anything, and yet if there is a person in his conscience who says, now for me I can only eat vegetables, let the strong one not despise the one who abstains. The strong tend to despise the weak when they see them holding on to a standard that they don't feel like they have to hold on to. This word for despise has the idea of disdain and literally sometimes having contempt for another person because they have a stricter standard in their life than you do. That is wrong. It is it is um, obvious here that despising someone else is not the right reaction that we we should be. And I think of this I've seen this many times. Some of the how do I put this? The most angry, um, hateful reactions that I've seen among Christians are when they look at someone else who has a stronger standard or stricter standard than they do. And they. And I can even see the word coming out of their mouth. They use it almost like a, like a judgment or an indictment on someone. What do they say? Legalist. And they're angry about it because Somehow, God has led someone into a more conservative stance than they are, and they think that that has to be applied to them too, and they don't understand this issue. And I've seen some very angry believers that are way out of proportion in their attitudes. They despise those who are weak and who don't see things, don't have the freedoms that they expect that they should have. Don't encroach on my freedoms. Don't get anywhere near that. And Paul says, no, wrong attitude. If you're strong, don't despise or or, um, be angry um, or have contempt for those who have a stronger standard than you. And that's important. And actually, as we continue on, we're going to see mostly Paul addressing the attitude of the strong to the weak. And making sure that the strong understands that they have to be careful with their freedom, not to make the other one stumble. And so this is a definite sinful attitude that one who is strong can have toward those that's weak. And Paul says, do not let it happen. It will affect the unity of the body. It should not be. It's a temptation. Set that disp- dis- um, that condemnation, not condemnation. I'll be careful not to use that word yet. Set aside that disdain and contempt for that person. Welcome them in unity. The other side of this is the weak, the one with the conscience sensitivities and their reaction to the one who doesn't have that particular sensitivity. And let not the one who abstains, who doesn't eat meat, pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. That is For the weak brother, that is his wrong attitude that normally he is tempted or she is tempted in having toward the strong person. And this idea is really being judgmental toward the strong. In other words, pronouncing condemnation on another person in one's own heart and judging them because they don't follow the same strict standard that you do. And the Bible and Paul says clearly that is wrong, too. And that can greatly affect unity. Both attitudes are wrong and they will destroy unity within a church. God has allowed each one of these to have different conscience sensitivities, but folks, he's drawn us all together. He's called us. All of us that are here have given testimonies as members that you, God has called you to this ministry. And so God has drawn us together in a local church body. And it says here, God has welcomed him. God has welcomed them for fellowship and acceptance. And if God has welcomed them, then we need to welcome them too. Even if they don't have as strict a standard or concern as we do in these issues of conscience, we must have the right attitude toward them. Because God has called them to our church ministry and has welcomed them. And so we should warmly welcome them too. Two wrong reactions that must not be a part of our church or will affect our our ministry with each other and our unity with each other. Now again, as we get to verse 4 and as we finish up here. Most of the passage in Romans 14 and 15, and even in the first Corinthian passages that we'll get to later, has a focus of the strong having an attitude toward the weak in their and his response toward the weak. But in this verse, the context here makes it clear that Paul is still referring to the weak. And their wrong attitude toward the strong, because he's still talking about judgment. And that was the wrong attitude that he ascribed to the one who is weak. Does that make sense? This is important. So four then is talking to those that have the conscience sensitivity. And Paul says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Remember, that's the tendency, the sinful tendency that the weak brother has. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him to stand. Addressing the tendencies of the weak toward the strong. Folks, really, if I can sum up this verse, Paul is reminding us not to take on a responsibility that is God's alone. Paul says here, it's God. God is the judge. He is the master. We are all of his servants. So the one that has the stricter um, standard that the Holy Spirit has led him to in his conscience or her conscience must not take upon themselves. It is tempting, because remember, we said one of the things the conscience does is it makes moral judgments. And it's tempting then, For the weak to judge the strong, and Paul is very clear on this, that it is before his own master that he stands or falls. If he's wrong, that's between him and his master. If he's right, that's between him and his master. And there's one, um, there's a book that I read. That uh, described it this way, and it sounds kind of contemptuous. I don't mean to sound that way, but one way to describe this is for both sides is you know you've heard the phrase in a derogatory way, mind your own beeswax or something like that. Kids say that, but really, Paul is saying here, mind your own conscience in a a gentle way, not in a in an adverse um, um, in a conflict type of way. But he's saying each of us mind our own conscience and where God has led us and don't pass judgment on someone else because that's between him and his master. It's inappropriate in sin for another servant to try to be judge, because that's the master's prerogative. That's his job. It's not ours. It's not our standard in another believer that will enable them to persevere toward the end. Here is another shortcoming of of the week and I have uh, struggled with this sometimes when I've looked at people um, that later on I realized you know what they have a different conscience, um, sensitivity not as much as I do and I have to be careful not to do this and here's what we that what the week tends to do if they don't follow my standard how are they going to grow in Christ and be help useful for Christ in the way that I am, or in the way, how they persevere and be faithful to God if they allow themselves to be involved in that. Does that make sense? And Paul says here, that's not for us to ask. We need to have faith in the last principle here that he says in verse 4. He will be upheld. Don't you worry whether he follows your standard or not. The person with the conscience sensitivity he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him to stand. The Lord's got this. The Lord will make it clear to that individual. If he's not doing what he should be doing, pray for him. Pray for her. Ask the Lord to work. But we don't judge. That's not our job. That's not our responsibility. When it comes to these issues of conscience, can we trust Philippians one six? What does Paul say there? I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the day completion at the day of Christ. That is the work of Jesus in our lives. Folks, we can be confident that even though people may not be doing things the way that we do them, God will accomplish his purposes in them. And he will bring them to completion and they will be glorified one day when Jesus returns. So don't worry about that. Pray for them if you must. But make sure in these issues of conscience that we are in unity together for the sake of the gospel um, and for the sake of fellowship and worship together on these conscience issues is what we're talking about. Trust God to do his work in others. He's much more capable of it than we are. And he will do that. The Lord will make him able to stand. I don't see how somebody could stand and and really live for God and do that. No, God will enable it. He'll help them to stand. So as we finish this first part, remember again to sum this up. Believers do have difference in conscience sensitivities. Each of us do. There are those in in different categories. Some of us are weak. Some of us are strong. And depending on the individual's uh, situation. But folks, that should never affect the fellowship of believers and unity of worship. So we need to ask God's help, don't we? We need to ask God to help us to welcome each other. He's called us to this ministry and serve together in the local body God has called us to. And not quarrel or be upset. I've seen on both sides. I've seen the, if you want to see the strong, the one that has the looser standard, say legalist and be angry. And I've seen the one with the stricter standard on a position on alcohol, talk about another person as if there was almost hatred in their eyes for that person. I've seen that happen. And none of those attitudes should be a part of the body of Christ. Let's handle these differences in the right way. Stay true to them don't fail, don't sin against your conscience, but also trust that regardless of the different sensitivities, God will enable us to stand and we'll all one day be glorified as believers before Jesus Christ. And we'll look forward to that day. In the meantime, let's not quarrel. Let's be unified in our service. Lord, please, as we finish up tonight, help us to have full understanding of what the, this passage means and even as we look next week as well, which really kind of um, shifts gears and does talks more about every issue that we face, how we need to make sure that we please you and honor you in it. We go beyond the conversation of the weak and strong and the expectations for all believers in regards to making sure that what we do please you help us to be willing to submit to this and submit our conscience to your word and help us as well to um, not um, mar or to damage our conscience in any way by ignoring it but help us to uh, be true to what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be and help us lord to dwell together in unity and here at village chapel baptist church as we serve you faithfully We need your help for that. We need the power of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we will all day, one day, come before you and we will stand. That you will complete the good work that you've started. And it will all be the power of Jesus in us. That is comforting and helpful for us. Help us to remember that this week as we go forward living for you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.